What were the crucifixion and burial techniques of the first century when Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead? You might be surprised to find out they were quite different from popular conceptions as portrayed in movies. Stay tuned as we pay a visit to a Bible Archaeology Center located in LaGrange, Georgia, where we're going to talk with Jim Fleming, one of Christendom's foremost experts on biblical archaeology. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Once again this week we are in LaGrange, Georgia, which is the site of a great educational center called Explorations in Antiquity. This is a center that was created by Jim Fleming, a renowned uh, teacher of biblical archaeology. And the purpose of this center is to show people the culture of the first century, how people lived in the first century so they can better understand what the Bible has to say. Jim, welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. Thank you, David. Now, what we're going to do in this segment is have you uh, do a teaching for us about um, the crucifixion. What can you tell us about the crucifixion, uh, say, techniques of the first century that's going to help us to better understand uh, what, what the Bible says? David, may I say something introduction okay, first? Yes. And that is um, when something is really gruesome and horrific, sometimes all you can do is speak matter-of-factly, just describe it. That's what the Gospels do, and they crucified Him and move on. So it's certain I realize we're talking about our Lord here, but let's do some background, and okay. we just have to be descriptive All right. about it. Um, had Jesus been tried in the Jewish court system and found guilty, his death would have been by stoning. Jews were not allowed an instrument of torture or slow pain. But in that he was referred to the Roman court system and brought to Pontius Pilate, his death was by crucifixion. Pilate liked crucifying Jews. He liked making it humiliating. Normally, the governors before him allowed the criminals to still be robed. He had them crucified in the nude as a more mm. form of humiliation. Of course, religious art for modesty purposes has a loincloth. The day of Jesus' crucifixion, two others were up for crucifixion. Did you know that the historian Josephus, born about 30 A.D., said that in 6 A.D., there were 2,000 crucifixions in one day in Jerusalem. Now, the point I want to make related to that is, he says all the trees lining all the roads to and from Jerusalem became crucifixion places. So here in our museum, we have a step roadway here. And along it, several trees that have been turned into crucifixion places. Do you see, this would be a way of intimidating the people as they approach the town. Well, you've already explained something very interesting to me because I did not know uh, where they got the wood for all these crucifixions. Yes. I knew there were a lot of crucifixions, yes. but there's not that much wood in right. Israel. So they just used trees. They used trees. They tended to have the criminal bring the crossbar. Okay. The word cross means crossbar. So you will see at our models, it is a, a transportable crossbar, but the upright 
is a rooted tree. So you're already destroying my images yes. of Jesus walking through the Via della Rosa and dragging cross. this huge cross. Yes. He had the cross bar. Yes. Okay. But he had been scourged oh. by Pilate. And quite frankly, scourging is a form of torture. Yes. And therefore, there's no word in Hebrew for And some didn't scourge, even live through that. Yes. I, mean, um, I was interested to see a number of years ago when the New Testament was being translated into Hebrew, what word would be used for mm -hmm. scourge because there's no such word. And uh, they simply said, Pilate tortured Jesus. It's a cat of nine tails, multi-whips with one handle. That way you could strike 40 spare one, 39, but the guy could still have 200 marks on yeah. his back. And uh, in any case, I, Pilate scourged Jesus. But having been scourged, I'm sorry for the detail, but he doesn't have use of his back muscles. Yes. And even though it's, quote, only the cross bar, he has stumbling because he can't really carry it. When they got to the upright that was going to be used, um, he would be fastened to that. But don't necessarily picture this high cross mm -hmm. with ladders leading up. Uh, Jerusalem is a city. The trees around it are not forest trees. They're trees that are being pruned, you know, olive trees, fig trees, uh, things like that. And uh, so probably you can lift it without a ladder yes. to the cross. Plus they, they, they wanted them down close so the people sure. could see them for sure. the ultimate impact. Right. Well, let's see what you have. Well, okay. Um, generally, you would, uh, we can stand up a minute okay, yeah. and go, go look at it. Why don't we come back on this side? Um, part of the torture of crucifixion was that the criminal would last a long time. So there's a saddle, and the buttocks would rest on the saddle. Is that right? And that's so, I mean, your feet have nail or nails in them. You could push down on your feet if you slid off. Get a few more breaths as you rested on the saddle until you slid off again. But it was not merciful. It was for you to last longer. Now, they have found a case of a man who was crucified and uh, will have close-ups of that ankle bone with a spike in it. It was a tomb found in 68, building an apartment compound. Uh, but what's unusual about it is the ankle bone had a spike that hit a knot in the upright, and it bent. Is that what you have right now? And so now? we have here, you can see there's a spike there, and uh, a piece of wood. So even though he might be sort of sitting here, he would have his legs pulled back. In that particular case, maybe the tree wasn't tall enough okay. to have them down. Okay. In his case, the knees came out, and then back, on, and on either side, the ankle bone had the spike come in mm -hmm. the side, um, but because it hit a knot, the loved ones couldn't pull it out. So that's how we knew well, it's about it. It's the first I've ever heard of this particular the part. Uh, yeah, yes. the saddle. Because yes. uh, my impression was that they wanted them to hang, and that would uh, cause them to suffocate. Well, you would eventually slide off, Oh, you know, and that would make it hard to do. And where it. were the uh, spikes? Well, it's interesting. In, in this particular case, and we only had one so far, okay. where we know the person died by crucifixion in Jerusalem, the spike is where you would have a wristwatch. And, you know, not where uh, you would think in the hand, but what is interesting, the Hebrew word for hand is from the shoulder down. Is that right? So wounds in his hand doesn't need to mean an English hand. So it might it could be, be here. 
again, I'm sorry the details, but probably it would enter the mind of the soldier, let the wrist bones hold together the ulna and radius and put the spike there. How long did it normally take to die? You could last for days. Oh. You could last for days, depending on whether you'd been scourged or not, yeah. right? Now, uh, so we have two spikes there. Because a piece of acacia wood was found under the head of the nail in the crucified person, we have, you see, in this case, the soldier hammered the spike into a piece of wood, and so it would be less likely the body could pull out yeah. over it, right? Now, the criminal normally carried a sign through the streets a sign. With, with his crime okay. around his neck. So the I'm, sign, a, I'm a robber or a thief yes. or whatever? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was nailed above his head. Uh, that was probably mocking, the sign. It? Mocking. Yes. This is uh, what's going to happen to anyone you want to be your king. Yes. Right? And we have the three languages there. But Roman signs had these little fly wings on the edge of them, so it probably looked like that. Now, what is interesting also is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke say someone put a sponge with sour wine on it on a stick. Mm -hmm. John uses the word hyssop stick. That's a reed okay. that grows. Remember in the book of Exodus, the ancient Hebrews are told, dip hyssop in the blood of a paschal lamb and swab it on your doorpost and lintel. Do you see what John is doing? There's a Passover connection with the crucifixion. It, there's a bloody doorpost, hyssop, and redemption from death in Egypt. There's a bloody crucifixion post, hyssop, and redemption from death at the cross. The, so John is drawing a paschal connection with the death. Now, it doesn't need to necessarily mean a long pole. Uh -huh. uh, someone doesn't want to touch a dying person. But Jesus doesn't have the strength. Remember the first time he didn't want something to drink, and later in the day he said, I thirst. He doesn't have the strength to lift his head back. But you see, you could suck from a sponge that you held up to someone. Now, the sour wine is strong wine that turned to vinegar. Um, it doesn't hasten the death, but it's considered merciful oh. because it makes you a little bit less aware of your surroundings. Mm -hmm. uh, and they put sour wine. Those who love Jesus would have been grateful that some sour wine had been offered uh, to him. John's Gospel mentions there were four soldiers. It's curious because Roman sources talk about four soldiers as well. And a Jewish male has five items of clothing. So we put here, if there's four soldiers, you see what happens. They're going to gamble for the fifth item. One soldier gets the turban, usually it's tied around the head. Mm -hmm. One soldier gets the sandals. One soldier gets the outer robe, normally open on the front. Another soldier gets the sash to tie the outer robe. But remains is the long tunic, the long t-shirt. Well, one of the, if I speak as a Roman a minute, one of the <laughs> perks of crucifixion, you can sell the guy's clothes on the market. Who's going to buy a quarter of a tunic if you tear it into four right. pieces. So they throw the dice. We've put here in the cabinet some Roman dice, believe it or not, ankle bones from cattle. Oh. And they land on four sides rather than six. Well, if there are four soldiers, 
you could cast lots to see who would be the lucky soldier to get the fifth item, also the tunic. Um, so it was definitely brutal. Jesus is on the cross from 9 till 3. In Judaism, you're supposed to be buried the day you died. And that afternoon, uh, they broke the bones to hasten the death. And the uh, first person jumped when they stabbed him. They broke his legs. Middle person did not. He was already dead. They didn't break his legs. Third one. Again, it ends with the Passover co- connection. Uh, an unblemished sacrifice. Also with a fulfillment of the legs. prophecy that his legs exactly. were not, bones would exactly. not be broken. Exactly. Incredible. Well, let's take a look at a first century tomb now as where they would take the body to uh, inter it and tell us about the customs of that, okay? Okay. Great. Good. Let's go over here and take a look at this New Testament tomb. Wow, this is a classic rolling stone type yeah, tomb. Yeah, and, and look how big it is, David. You have uh, Joseph Arimathea was one of the elders, which means the member of the Sanhedrin. And we have some tombs in Jerusalem with this large stone. So we have a wealthy tomb. And do you see it rolls uphill to open? But That's going to take a to lot close. of pushing. It would. That's why the women are wondering who will help them turn yeah, back the yes. stone. Usually they're decorated with floral or geometric designs yes. for Jews. And outside you have a mourner's bench. And for one week, you would visit the tomb daily. Yep. And you would cry. Let Sit me join you. Sit here and cry. Sit yep, here you'd cry here. And okay. uh, they even had tear vases or tear cups that they would collect like the their tears. tears. Yeah. And then they would inter their grief. Where they put the tear oh, cup in. The, oh, we find them in there? tombs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's called, you know, burying your grief with your loved one. And there are mentions of these tear bottles in the Bible. Yes, yes. That's amazing. So you see you're coming up a flight of stairs here. Yes. And notice we have an interior of a tomb, which we've, in order to be able to have uh, people to be able to view, we've made it so there's three fully preserved niches there. Two of these niches are preserved, but the roof broke here and later collapsed. But one can see that there were three more niches running away. This is a typical Herodian period tomb. Notice in front of the niches is a U-shaped bench on three sides. That's where you would dress the body. And then afterwards, slide it to a niche. So we have one sort of an example to see there. Um, These kind of tombs are only found in Jerusalem from 37 B.C. to 70 A.D., a very restricted period. So Herodian period tombs. Well... Can you imagine then that Friday the body would have been bought, brought up but not yet slid in a niche, that gives an example later, but simply laid on the bench okay. because they have to be adding grave claws and spices. Usually you would be bringing grave claws. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had a mixture of myrrh and aloes and some grave claws. They would have wrapped the body with the spices But Sabbath was coming. And remember it says, as they exited the tomb, Sabbath was being manifest. That means people were lighting their oil lamps just before the sunset. Would not be the tradition of the women to come back on Saturday. So first light Sunday morning, the women wanted to add more grave cloths uh, because they didn't have enough time before sunset Friday Mm -hmm. night. 
And so they've come back to the tomb, wondering who would help them roll back the massive <laughs> stone that we saw. And, it, of course, it was rolled back. And we have the mystery of the resurrection narrative. Let me just mention a little bit more about burial practices. Okay. You would wrap a body from foot to head, but notice you have to tie off the shoulders yes. and come in again and start with the head. So a separate wrapping for the head. The head. Yeah. And that's mentioned in the gospel narrative. If someone had just stolen the body and unwrapped the grave claws, you'd expect to see a jumbled pile of grave claws. Mm-hmm. But remember, when they saw the head wrapping separate from the body wrapping, there's a little space between them because you're tying off the shoulders and starting again with the head. That's significant when the women tell the disciples and Peter and John run to the tomb. Remember, John got there first. I guess he could jog faster. (laughs) And he stooped and looked in. You saw how it was only five hands high for the door, uh, seven hands high for the door. But um, Peter, when he got there, walked right in. He's the first one to witness. And that strange thing, when he saw the head wrappings still separate from the body wrappings, he believed. If someone had stolen the body and left the grave cloths, there would be just a pile Mm -hmm. of grave cloths. And people back then would have understand you tie off the body and then start again coming in from the shoulders for the head. And it was seeing the head cloth separate from the body cloth made him realize he could not explain the arrangement of the grave cloths. Uh, the body was missing, but the grave cloths were undisturbed. Um, normally what would happen is that you would add more spices mm-hmm. or the rest of that week gets smellier, right? Mm-hmm. Remember in the Lazarus story in John's Gospel, uh, Martha says, by now, Lazarus stinks. Yes. Uh, you would add more spices, and you'd have that week of coming back for the funeral wake. Uh, you'd add time for crying out on the bench out right. in front. Uh, but the interior has this arrangement of a U-shaped work area. The angel story is there was, for the resurrection narrative, there was an angel sitting at the head and at the feet. It means the body had not yet been slid into the niche. Now, a niche, again, is made to have uh, it so the body would slide in head first. And then, uh, in Jerusalem climate, it would take about two years for a body to decompose. And the plan would be, at the end of those two years, to come back and collect the bones and put them in a bone box. An ossuary. Good man. The proof of the resurrection of Jesus, however, is not just the arrangement of the grave clause, which could not be explained, but rather, Jesus' followers turned that first century upside down. They should have returned to their nets had the resurrection not occurred. But instead, they turned the first century upside down. And it was their belief in the resurrection that kept them serving God and kept them, even in spite of danger and persecution, willing to give their lives in obedience to God's will, sharing the gospel throughout the Roman world.
I hope you are enjoying this teaching about the crucifixion and burial of Jesus. Our teacher is Jim Fleming, one of Christendom's foremost experts on biblical archaeology, and he has been speaking from his Antiquities Center that is located in LaGrange, Georgia, about 60 miles southwest of Atlanta. You can find detailed information about the center on their website at diggingforit.net. I want to emphasize that they have educational programs for both adults and children, and they can tailor their programs to your time schedule. This is the fourth in a series of programs that we videotaped at the center. If you have missed the previous programs, you can find them on our website at lamblion.com. As we bring this series to a close, I'd like to show you some footage we have not shared on our other programs. It will illustrate to you what a wonderful learning center Jim Fleming has created, and I hope it will motivate you to plan a trip to the center with your family or with a church group. Here now is an illustration of what I'm talking about. Okay, Jim, now it looks like uh, we're in a threshing floor area yes, here. Is that what this is? Four months of the year a farmer growing barley and wheat, their life is related to this uh, agricultural installation. In March, April is the barley harvest. And you would bring in the handfuls, the okay. sheaves of grain, put it in. It's always a place where bedrock is exposed. Then you have a threshing sled with sharp rocks in it. That is turned with the rocks facing down, and a trained mule or donkey, or you standing on it, guiding them, makes circles. Oh. And the sharp rock scraping the bottom cuts the pieces of the stalk into smaller So, that's why pieces. you have to have bedrock instead yes. of a soft ground. Yes. And so, the, uh, the animal pulls this around, yes. and it grinds the... Uh, yeah, well, and it cuts it. Yeah. Then what you are would, these These for? are winnowing forks, you well, see. How do you do that? And then you would just, now we don't have these cut very small, but you wait till a windy afternoon, yeah. and you throw it up in the air, and the lighter elements are blown aside, and the grain oh. falls. But usually there's still some pieces in it. So, so what, it, what is this yeah, here? So then you have to sieve it a little bit more, and usually you use just pieces of cloth so. or whatever, sieve it, and then you bag it. And oh. this is your harvest. The reason this is important is here where you know what your economy is going to be like. Did you get four bags for every bag you sowed or 40 bags? And uh, so it's interesting, in the Canaanite Bible, which was found at a place called Rosh Shamra, you always build an altar to Baal at a threshing floor. Remember, okay. Baal's the rain god, the god of the economy, GNP god. Because that's where you're thanking Baal for the harvest. Okay. When David conquers Jerusalem, he purchases the threshing floor of Aruna and builds an altar to the Lord. A different God is going to be thanked at Jerusalem's threshing floor. So it's not only an agricultural installation, it's a religious installation. I wonder why David went up and bought a threshing floor. It's not because it's a vacant lot. Probably because Baal was being worshipped there. Yeah. And he's changing the religious status of Jerusalem's And that was on Mount Moriah in the... Uh, in in where, eventually where Solomon built the yeah, temple. Yeah. Where the temple that Jesus saw, here his temple was. Okay. Well, let's visit another site. Okay. Now, uh, Jim, what is this? This looks like a market area or something. Yes. Yep. Market Street. This is a vending area. Do You see, of course, we have a place here where you could weigh out buying, buying some nuts here. Okay. Let's just say you wanted three ounces. All right. I put my three ounce weights All there. Right. I've been adding over here, you know, until they are level. And this would be just, right? That's just, yes. There's a phrase, kisat chesed vivakisha, a little grace, 
please. Oh, and so if give me vendor, one more. <laughs> and if the vendor wants you to come back, oh. they put another hand on your side. Now, right. listen, that's the same word for after the golden calf. I am a God full of chesed, oh, full of grace. Full of grace. The Bible speaks about a God who is so gracious, puts a little bit on our side of the mm -hmm. weight. So it's a wonderful thing for kids to be able to But these vendors never did what some did in the United States in the early years of putting their thumb on this. And oh, uh, never. <laughs> in fact, because you're worried about uh, inscrupulous vendors, you have a Bureau of Weights and Standards. May I show it to you? It's right there. Sure, okay. okay. Okay, so now you say this is the Bureau of Weights and Standards? Yes, yes. You know, there's somebody who might be having two sets of weight. Remember Deuteronomy talks yes, about yes. that. This is for dry volume weights, Okay. but this is for liquid volumes. And you see you have all these containers different volumes. Every one of them different volumes. And if you said that was a quart of milk and you were suspicious it was, you could come to the guy in charge of the oh. weights and measures, pour it in, there's a little cork So here. I could go from the vendor over here. And pour it in here, it would drain out, the, and see if it did fill up a quart. And then the man in charge of the weights and measures would find the vendor. This person is mentioned in the Gospels. At Capernaum, there is, it's usually translated royal steward, royal official. The word is agoronymous or basilicus. The agora, the basilica. Yes is the man in charge of weights and measures. He's the guy who had a sick son who went to Cana yes, in yes. John 4. Mm -hmm. But he's the guy in charge. So Capernaum had a Bureau of Standards as well. How about that? A couple of years ago, we had Jim Fleming right here in our studio as a very special guest, and we shot four very fascinating programs with him, and we have made those programs available on this video album here entitled Biblical Archaeology. In these interviews, Dr. Fleming explains the importance of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he discusses a wide range of archaeological issues like the location of the Jewish temple and the disposition of the Ark of the Covenant. He also provides a detailed description of his remarkable discovery in 1969 of the ancient eastern gate that existed at the time of Jesus. I'd also like to recommend another video album to you. It's called The Mountains of Jerusalem. It contains four programs that were shot entirely in Jerusalem. The programs are about the biblical significance of the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount, Mount Zion, and the Mount Herzl. It is one of the most popular video albums we have ever produced. In a moment, our announcer will tell you how you can get copies of these albums. Well, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Are you interested in gaining new insights about the Bible through archaeology? Four of our Christ in Prophecy episodes with Dr. James Fleming, filmed at our studios in Dallas, can be enjoyed on one DVD entitled Biblical Archaeology. In these four fascinating programs, Dr. Fleming discusses the importance of biblical archaeology. 
This album is available for a gift of $12 or more, plus the cost of shipping. The Mountains of Jerusalem DVD album is one of the most popular albums we have ever produced. Dr. David Reagan is your guide on this historical journey into the Bible. You'll learn the biblical significance of four important mountains while taking a tour of the sites that distinguish each of them. The album can be yours for a gift of $15 or more, plus shipping. For a limited time, you can have both the Biblical Archaeology DVD and the Mountains of Jerusalem DVD album for a gift of $20 or more, plus shipping and handling. To get this special offer, ask for Offer 550. Call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time or visit lamblion.com today. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 